especially if they're creating that trauma bond with right with all of their highs and lows because a hundred percent of it wasn't bad right they they give just enough to give you a little bit of hope because i feel like hope always dies last so you have you have a little bit of hope oh maybe they see the error in their ways oh maybe they really will change oh maybe they really do appreciate me right and they'll kind of string you along and then in between all those little bursts of love and joy and possibility, they're just tearing it back down again. Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, your nurturing warrior guide through the darkness. Just a reminder, this episode is for educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for professional therapy. Discover what you need to do to recover from divorce without going crazy. Learn how to stop feeling like a victim from the narcissist and start living again. And overcome the fear of the unknown and being alone. Divorce is hard on everyone involved and it can leave you feeling angry, sad, lonely, confused, guilty, and so much more. But there are things you can do to help yourself through this difficult period in your life. Discover how to fulfill yourself and fill the void with your own self-love. This is episode 119, How to Recover from Divorce from a Narcissist Without Losing Your Mind with Leah Mazur. She is a certified divorce recovery coach for women and founder of Mindfully Ready LLC, She specializes in helping women rebuild their self-confidence so that they can live their best lives after divorce. She offers one-on-one coaching sessions while providing a safe, judgment-free community for women rebuilding after divorce in her private Facebook group called Divorced and Empowered. And without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Hello, so good to see you, Leah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yes. So we talk about narcissists and as empaths all the time, it's like how to heal from them really is the goal of this podcast. But um, Mm -hmm. you as a divorce recovery coach, how did that work come about? Because that's very specific. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did that happen? So I'll, I'll take you back a little bit just so that you have an idea of, of my story. So when I was 16, I actually witnessed my mom have an asthma attack in our home and pass away. She was only 41. So as you can imagine, Whoa. very traumatic. And five years later, my dad died of pancreatic cancer and I'm an only child. So by the time I was 21, I was like on my own in the world trying to right figure out how this thing works. And yeah. between those two deaths, I was in a relationship with a narcissist. So I actually, I've been in three relationships with narcissists in my lifetime because I'm just lucky, I guess. <laughs> and so the first one we started dating in my sophomore year. So it was from 15 years old to 20 years old. And mm. I mean, back then I had no idea what a narcissist even was. I didn't even learn about what a narcissist was until my thirties. Yeah. But then in retrospect, I can go back and go, oh my God. And yes, 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 yes. So this is all the things. So, so between the losses of my parents and then that relationship, mentally, emotionally, I was just destroyed. I mean, my self-esteem, yeah 
down the toilet. Self-worth, non-existent. I didn't know how to love myself. I had severe abandonment issues. I was afraid of being alone. So I found myself being a serial monogamist for years, hopping in and out of relationships. And so my second divorce was my aha moment. That's when I realized, okay, there's a pattern here. You can't keep doing this if you ever really want to find happiness and, and, and feel good about who you are. You've got to figure this out, face your fear of being alone, and then just dive in. So that's when my healing journey really began. And I did all the things. I mean, therapy, journaling, meditating, gratitude practice, like all, at, at everything that you could think of, you know, the books, the podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I was able to get myself, you know, quote unquote, to the other side. Mm-hmm. And so then what I did was I was able to just take the best, most effective tools from my own journey, my own recovery, and use it to help other women. So now I guide other women through their own divorce recovery journey so that they don't make the same mistakes I did, so that they can empower themselves, learn how to fulfill themselves, stand on their own two feet, not feel like they need a relationship in order to be happy, right? All the things. And so that's what led to doing what I do now. That's amazing. So can we go back to something popped in my head because I've had a couple other people on the podcast mention that they had a loss, like a death, and then they Mm. felt really low. And then the narcissist swooped in and was like their comfort blanket, which Mm -hmm. I feel like they prey on that. What were some of the things that you experienced as a teenager in that scenario with that Mm -hmm. boyfriend? Yes. Lots of manipulation. He knew I wasn't going anywhere right? I had already lost huge people in my life. So I was basically going to take whatever he had to throw at me because I didn't want to lose him too. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how, right? So emotional abuse, physical abuse, cheating, all the things, lying, manipulation. And I just, I also didn't know that I deserved better. I mean, I was in such a low place. And so Yeah. So I think initially they're attracted to people who they think are strong and who have the qualities in that they don't have in themselves. Right. And then Mm -hmm. once they're in and they do all the love bombing and everything, that's when they start to chip away at you and break you down so that they can feel better about themselves. Right. That's how they feel like they're, they like to be in control. And he was always gaslighting. I mean, all the things like textbook stuff, right? That like, I didn't realize until years later and I was reading about it. And, and, but yes, I do. I, I think that they, I think that they swoop in when they see that there may be a chance for them to Mm -hmm. mold you into what best serves them. Yeah. It's such a strange, I don't know if the right word is dichotomy, but like they're attracted to those who can support them because they themselves have these holes to fill and and they have like mommy issues or whatever their thing, right? They yeah. had abuse and trauma in their childhood. But at the same time, they're like, but I don't want you too strong. Like, I want you to have enough light and compassion and, you know, empathy. But I also want you to be weak enough to think that you don't ever deserve anything better than what I'm going to give you because I already know yeah. I'm wounded and limited. So I cannot provide yeah nor want to provide what you need. Totally. Yeah. It's really a strange combination. It's very complex. I think that's why it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. The emotional abuse and the recognizing and the the web 
is so intricate because it's so complex. Yeah. Especially if they're creating that trauma bond, but right with all of their highs and lows, because a hundred percent of it wasn't bad, right? They, they give just enough to give you a little bit of hope because they feel like hope always dies last. So you have, you have a little bit of hope. Oh, maybe they, they see the error in their ways. Oh, maybe they really will change. Oh, maybe they really do appreciate me. Right. And they'll kind of string you along. And then in between all those little bursts of love and joy and possibility, they're just tearing it back down again. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they want to do. It's like it's the invisible carrot I keep saying. It's like they're just like hanging out, holding it here. Here's your future promising. Here's your hopes and dreams. Yeah. Here, I'm going pro- yeah. to provide that in words. And they, t- they may even sell you on it, like describe it all. And this is my plan. And these are the steps of how I'm going to do it. But then they mm-hmm. never do it. So you have to look at their actions. Yes, always. Always look at the actions over the words. And I say that to my clients all the time because, you know, as women, I feel like we try everything. Like divorce really is the last resort. Divorce is one of the hardest things you can go through in your life. Nobody's going to just jump to that, right? That's like last resort. And so when they're finally done and they're at the point of like, okay, I need to leave, then sometimes their spouse is like, oh, 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 now I'm taking you seriously. Maybe now I'll put in the effort or now I'll do the things that you were asking me to do. And and so it's so tricky because usually that's just manipulation, right? Because where was this desire to put in the effort all after all these years sometimes of them communicating and vocalizing their needs or what the problem is, or let's go to counseling, all of that. Right. And then it's not until they're like, okay, I'm done. And then their spouse is like, okay, well, well, wait a minute. What do you need? And Mm -hmm. so, and you can't do that. Really change doesn't happen that quickly. You can't just turn into a different person. And so that's where it's so tricky because it can really just be them manipulating the situation and telling you what you want to hear and maybe putting in a little effort to make you feel like, oh, now they're actually going to do what I've been needing them to do. Yeah. And speaking from my own personal experience being divorced is I actually knew that game. So I would, instead of chasing him and trying to force him into something, I would leave knowing that that was my tactic to get him to listen to me, to get him to do what I was hoping that he would do. And it always backfired on me because I would kind of like hoover myself back in and he would say all the things, but he wouldn't ever change the actions because the root motivation was out of a take situation. Like this is taken mm-hmm. from me. Like if you imagine a toddler, take a toy away, say, I'm sorry. Well, you can't say, you can't get your toy back until you say, I'm sorry. Well, of course that kid's going to say, I'm sorry. So it's like this yeah. conditioning training that happens, but the motivation is not from true sincerity. It's not from love. Yeah. Like while you're in the relationship, they wish to change because they love you. No, they're just wishing to change because they don't want their toy taken away from them. Yeah. And then that would mean that they would have to face themselves, right? Narcissists don't like being alone. (laughs) And so I actually learned that the hard way too. When I first left that relationship, he did all the things. I was getting the emails and the the love, you know, the sweet love notes, leaving gifts on my car. And this is like, this is 20 years ago now, but all the things that I was like, oh, okay. And I moved back in. I had moved out, broke up with him, moved out, was living somewhere else. He got me back and I moved back in. And I swear, like Raven, it must have been like 
seven days, maybe 10 days in. And it was right back to what it was before. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that I fell for that. I can't believe that he tricked me like that. And so I had to move back out again. And then that's where I think if you can... One of the the best ways to really break free from a narcissist is is no contact. And I know that that's not always possible if you do share children, but yeah. that is really huge because it's that fog, right? You're in that like brain fog. And you, so the more separation, the more space you can create between the two of you, you can kind of like come to and see things a little more clearly and not have somebody telling you you're wrong or you what you feel and what you think is not valid or you didn't see what you saw or you know all of the, all of the noise all of their lies and manipulation yeah cuz yeah. you're already confused about what happened right because yeah. they've overreacted and they've already in the argument blamed everything on you but then you're like in that moment of clarity you're like no this is not all on me and so you move out But yeah, if you keep that little thread of communication open, then then there's a way in after you process it. Because you're kind and you're compassionate. You're trying to see both sides and you're trying to see, like, put yourself in their shoes. And with the narcissist, that's just the most dangerous place you can put yourself because they can use it against you. Absolutely. And they will. They will. (laughs) So how do you go slash not no contact but how do you reduce that like how do you put that boundary up when you have children and you've moved out and and or are divorced or divorcing the best thing you could do is limit your interactions to what is absolutely necessary and i always advise doing everything in writing if you can don't you know stay off the phone because then they can kind of coerce you into a conversation that you had no intention of having, right? And then your emotions run high and then it's a whole game. So in the email, you know, text message or even apps, there's great parenting apps because you also Mm -hmm. want to kind of keep track of that stuff Mm -hmm. and just keep things before you initiate any kind of conversation, kind of have some bullet points first so that it keeps you on track and you know exactly what needs to be said or accomplished so that you don't veer. And if they do try to veer, you really just don't even have to respond. And I think that's so hard, especially for empaths, right? Because they do have those people-pleasing tendencies. They don't like confrontation. So boundary setting is really tough because they feel mean or they feel like they're not being cooperative, right? All of these like narratives about like setting boundaries, what that means to other people. And so that can be tough, but it just takes practice. It really does. And so I think just keeping things as as business-like as possible and keeping your emotions out of it and having support for those emotional things. So, you know, you do have emotions that come up. You do have, you have to process things and work through things. So don't just not do it, right? Don't feel your feelings, but just be specific on and strategic on what you're doing. So have your support, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a coach like me, whether you're just in a group, if you have some kind of support group or like a Facebook group or something where you can talk about it and mm-hmm. talk to people who get it and who can help you and support you through it. So it's not emotional diarrhea when you're trying to interact with, you know, or co-parent with your <laughs> ex-narc because yeah. it's never going to go the way that you want it to go if you do that. Yeah, you can't hold it in. And the last person no. you want to spew it out to is the one that'll use it against you. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yeah, I like that. What do you what are those apps? What are do you know the names of some of those parenting apps? 
I have a list on my computer. Let me see off the top of my head. I think okay. our family wizard is one of them. Uh, I would have to look on my computer. I, I keep a list of the ones that have come highly recommended from other people that use them. Mm-hmm. So I would just look if you go in your app store and you can put co-parenting app and there's a bunch and yeah. some are free and then some are some kind of, I think it's like a fee. I don't know if it's a monthly charge or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. but you can kind of play around and see which ones work best for you. Read the reviews because some may have things that you need more than others. You know, they offer different things and then find one, find one that, that works best for you because it helps keep things in order, right? It helps keep you focused. It helps keep you on track. Yeah. I like that too. And I think it also separates, right? Because usually your own cell phone and text message threads can like subconsciously kind of get in the habit that this is like personal or even the Mm -hmm. way you've interacted with them for years and years. It just kind of, you just slip back in the patterns. But if it's like a separate app, you feel like it is a bit more business-like and it's detached. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So true. Yes. Breaking those patterns, even things Mm. like that. Yeah. So have you had advice or different scenarios to help clients like in court cases, like going up to a judge, let's say it's a custody battle or income Mm -hmm. or something like that? I don't. So that's not my wheelhouse. I don't, I don't have to do with the process itself, the legal process that I would refer someone to a different coach who does. I'm more of the recovery aspect. So, you know, emotionally, mentally helping them rebuild their self-esteem, their self-confidence, know their worth, those limiting beliefs. I mean, as you know, narcissists love to get you to believe these narratives, these stories about yourself that are just not true. And it takes time to undo that and to really find your truth and to embrace who you are and stop, you know, your inner critic from running the show. And so that is kind of where I help them rebuild. Got it. Which all leads up to the actual, I mean, if you are in court, you, that's the thing is you need your mental and emotional prowess on. So you got to do all that yeah. beforehand. Yeah. Uh, so what other examples maybe occurred in your other experiences that you were like, this is it. Like maybe someone's in it and they're confused or like, I'm not sure if I should leave. I'm not sure what to do. I've tried to place boundaries, but it just isn't working. Mm-hmm. I think that when it's that kind of situation, I think they usually just need someone to tell them that it's okay to leave because divorce is still something that a lot of people like look down on. There's still this stigma, which is, isn't it crazy? Like for how many divorces that have been like, it's so silly to me, but this is just where we're, where we are. And so because of that stigma and they feel, they feel this guilt, they feel this shame, they feel like failure, right? Because they, they want to make things work. So when they're at that point where they're like, it's just not working, I can't set boundaries. Or when I do, they overstep and I want to leave, blah, blah, blah. They really just need someone to first just let let them talk about it, just vent like a sounding board, and then just give them permission to do what they feel like they need to do. Because they don't always get that from even the most supportive friends and family. Sometimes friends and family in their own fear of divorce or insecurities can kind of be projected onto them and say, well, try to work it out. Well, don't, you know, just do this or don't do this. And so even with the best intentions, you just don't necessarily get the best advice and the most practical advice from friends and family. You know, they do want the best for you. 
So when you could talk to somebody who doesn't have that emotional investment, who can really just be objective about it and go, well, if these are the patterns, right? And a lot Mm -hmm. of times what I'll do, like a good question, if somebody's really on the fence, I'll say, okay, well, if you knew that you could get a divorce and it would be amicable and you would have whatever money you needed and you would not regret it, would you? And a hundred percent of the time, their answer is absolutely. I would have done it yesterday. (laughs) And that really is your answer then, right? It's so Mm -hmm. it's, you know what you want. It's just this fear. There's fear coming up that's stopping you from, from taking that action. Yeah. It sounds like it's the, yeah. This fear of the conflict. I know for me, it was the fear of the unknown. Like, oh, I don't know. Honestly, I was lucky. I had my own money. I could move out easily. I was able to sign a lease, good credit. But for me, it was like, well, I don't know if anyone else is going to love me. Yeah, It could be down to even just that. And I just yeah. had to get to a point where like, I would rather die a cratchety old hag than put up with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. With a bunch of cats. Yeah. So, but it's so true. And that's so, that's the thing. Like I was dealing with the same, just afraid of being alone. Well, what if I don't find anybody then? And you have mm-hmm. to just get to the point where you're like, but you know what? It's okay. I don't, I, I can be happy alone. I can learn how to fulfill myself and have a very full life. And then if I were to find my ideal partner, great. But that's just extra. That adds value to your life. It's not something that you feel like you have this deep void if it doesn't exist. And that's really the best place you can be in to find the right partner. Because we we date at the same level as our self-esteem. So if you're feeling like, who's going to love me? Who's going to love me? man, that dating game is going to be stressful, right? You have like so many, you're, you have these expectations of the outcome and then rejection hurts even worse. So if you get to the point where you're like, I don't even need this. Like if I, if this works out, great, awesome. If it doesn't, I'm good. I'm good on my own. And you could easily say, no, I'm not going on a second or third date with you. Thank you though. Yeah. Like yeah. you can easily say that. Nice like, to meet I'm you. I'm going to go hang out <laughs> with my cats now. It's much happier. Yeah. And it's so empowering, right? It's so powerful. Yeah, we don't have to accept everything that we're given just because we think that's all that's going to be handed to us. It's very much like that lack mindset. Yes. Versus yeah. having the fountain of love within yourself and fulfillment. The other thing, too, I was hearing when you were saying that was you really shouldn't be dating right after you've left. I know for me, I did quickly and it was not planned mm-hmm. and ended up wonderfully. However, it was a rough road. It was a rough road for him because I was healing and I was going through therapy and going through the grieving process. And it was really rough. Like he he put up with a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm wondering why he's still here, but I love him so much. (laughs) Because you just have to go through all that stuff. And so when you add a relationship, which is already another work on top of your healing work you're doing, it's just a lot. Yeah. So being in the right place to be able to date is also important. Yeah. And again, like you said, not that lack mindset, embracing the idea of giving yourself as much space as you need, not worrying like, oh, I'm getting older. Oh, my time's running out. Oh, I got to hurry up and find somebody. Oh, there's not going to be anybody left, right? Nobody's going to want me. Am I getting more wrinkles? Blah, blah, blah. All these, all this dialogue that we have. Mm -hmm. But when you can say, well, I'm just going to give myself as much time and spaces I need to get myself to a a place where I feel happy and fulfilled and I can like myself, not even maybe love yourself yet, but you got to like yourself. You got to know what you bring to the table and what you're worth, right? So you could set your standards and have some strong deal breakers. I mean, that's important when you're dating too, so that you're not settling for less than you deserve. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. It is a process. It's a process to even love yourself. So I like that. It's like, don't put it the is. standards so high. Let's just start with liking yourself. Let's just try to like <laughs> yourself a little bit. Because when you come out, especially with the narcissist, you probably don't. They suck you dry, right? You're, you probably don't think you're you're great and amazing and wonderful, right? And so you have to really put that stuff back in your bucket. You got to work on that. And that never ends. I mean, I don't care how, you know, how long you've been on your healing journey. It mean every day you wake up and you still got to do it, right? There, that inner critic will always still sneak in. There's always things that happen, things that trigger you. Like life just brings those things about. You always have to be working on that stuff. I've, I will never stop. I mean, until the day I die, I'll always be working on myself. Yes, absolutely. Those automatic thoughts, man, they just creep in no matter what age you yes. are, how far you are on the journey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was reading. So your brain on any given day will have 60 to 80,000 thoughts. Your brain is just pumping them out all day. And so you have to learn that just because a thought pops up, it doesn't make it true. You have to learn to separate that because you're going to be hearing those voices, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. You can just choose to think a new thought. And that's where that self-awareness is such an important important part of healing because it gets you out of your brain. It gets you to be able to just kind of become the observer of your thoughts and then choose which ones you want to ride the wave with. <laughs> yes. And then which ones you get to squish. I taught my yeah. kids the, the yeah. ant, automatic negative thoughts, ant, and you get to squish Yes. Them. <laughs> Absolutely. You do. You have to, you have to take control of it. Otherwise it'll run wild. Yeah. What are your favorite mental health disciplines that keep your emotions strength strong so med meditation is big for me I do it almost every morning I, I'm, I'm kind of bad about it on the weekends I get off my routine but almost every morning during the week um getting enough sleep I think that is highly underestimated how important uh getting a good night's rest is and getting out in nature I think that even if you're just taking a five or 10 minute walk around your backyard I don't care what it is I mean just getting outside whenever you can is so healing for the soul and it's good for your brain and it boosts your mood. It lowers anxiety and depression. So those are all the things that I think are, you know, accessible for everybody and important and it makes a big difference. Yeah. Just before we hopped on, I was out taking my walk, took the dog for a walk and I go down yeah. to the lake and I take my shoes off and I ground in the grass. Yes. That's a great exercise. Yes. Connecting to the earth. Yeah. It's so important. I found it yes. really, really grounding, like really soothing. Yes, because it brings you into the present moment because we're always either thinking about the past or worrying about the future, right? Our brains are just like a, just toggling back and forth. So when we can do something that really just brings us into the present, it does help kind of quiet all that other noise. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh said in the book, Your True Home, The Everyday Wisdom, the future is now. The practice of mindfulness doesn't forbid us to plan for the future. It's best not to lose ourselves in uncertainty and fear over the future. But if we're truly established in the present moment, we can bring the future to the here and now and make plans. We're not losing the present moment when we think about the future. In fact, the present moment contains both past and future. The only material that the future is made of is the present. If you know how to handle the present in the best way you can, that's all you can do for the future. 
Handling the present moment with all your attention, all your intelligence is already building a future. Yeah, I think those are really powerful. Meditation is tricky because I think, you, like you said, our brains are going a mile in a minute. People get anxiety about even sitting down to meditate. How did you get into it? Like, yeah, with that anxiety. You know, I don't even remember. I think I had just, I, I knew that it would be beneficial. I just never really invested the time in figuring it out. And so after my second divorce, I, I was like, well, I'm going to do any, anything that I can. I'm going to try it all. And so I started with guided meditations. I think those are a great start because it gives your brain something to pay attention to, right? Something to listen to and guide you through it. But here's the thing. And, and most people think that meditation is hard and that they suck at it, okay? But you don't. I mean, children can meditate any age, right? Here, So people misunderstand the exercise. They think that they can just sit down and that they're supposed to clear their mind, right? They're supposed to, but that's never going to happen. Unless you're dead, your brain is never going to stop. You're going to be, it's going to be pumping out thoughts. Really the bicep curl of the, of the meditation exercise is becoming the observer of those. So let them pop up. Just, you're just creating space. And then when they do, you can kind of catch yourself. Oh, I'm off thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner or like somebody I forgot to email. I'm just going to bring myself back to my breath again or bring myself back to, you know, whatever I'm focusing on. And you might do that like a hundred times in 15 minutes, but that's the exercise. That is meditation is, whoops, I realized I'm kind of drifting off. Non-judgment. We're not judging ourselves. We're just acknowledging and bringing ourselves back again. And that's the thing. And when you do that, you're training your brain to do that. You're training your subconscious to become the observer. So even throughout the rest of your day, you can kind of catch yourself getting caught up in a, an emotion, right? Or getting caught up in, in a thought that's taking for a ride. You'll kind of realize what's happening and go, oh, okay, let me just take a step back. I don't have to buy into that thought. And you bring yourself back to center again. I love that. And I love how you said pop, like the word, the words and the thoughts pop in your head. So yeah. just imagine them in like bubbles and pop them out. Yes. Yes. Or like I heard somebody explain it once. It's almost like when you were young and you would lay down on the grass and look up at the clouds and just watch the clouds go by. It's mm. like that. You're just kind of just letting the thoughts go. Like, and that's what they will do if you don't attach to any of them. They'll just drift. They just drift in and out. Yeah. And maybe for those anxious people, like myself who have this open root center, I feel like, a uh, like you said, oh, I have to email this one person while you're sitting trying to meditate. Maybe have a notepad next to you and just write that down so then you can pop it. Because <laughs> for me, I'm like, I, I tend to kind of like hang on that thought and recycle yeah. it, recycle it. So yeah, really yeah, because you're you're afraid that you'll forget, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is important. I mean, that's not a bad idea, and but just letting yourself know, like committing to that ten minutes or that five minutes, and saying, okay, listen, the world's not going to crumble if I sit here and just be alone for ten minutes. Set your timer and just commit to just being there, just sitting and breathing. You know, it's like your brain is like a monkey in a cage. And so it's going to go wild. But the more you do it, the more it settles, like more quickly, you kind of get into the habit of doing it. And then when that timer goes off, you're done. You're free to like do all the things that you you were worried about forgetting and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. And there's so many beautiful apps to do that. There's so many YouTube channels. I have a whole bunch of meditations on mine too. And it's, mm -hmm. there's so many wonderful ways to just to help people guide you so you don't have to yes. worry about 
it being quiet and scary and yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's even walking meditations, you know, just be, it's about being present, right? So paying attention to the physical sensations. What does it feel like when your feet hit the ground? Can you feel, you know, what senses, what are you smelling? What are you feeling? What are you hearing? Just being present with your physical body and your senses. Yeah. I think that's why walking barefoot also, besides that magnetic grounding is for me, there's a lot of geese. So I'm like, I have to actually be mindful of exactly where I step because it's like landmines all over the place. Yeah. And, that's a- and that, then that therefore becomes a walking meditation because then I feel, mm-hmm. okay, this feels good. Like I can notice the difference between this type of grass and this type of grass and the grass yeah. that's been super trimmed by the geese and then the, the grass that's never been touched. It's really, yeah. really beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, this is, this is really helpful. We've kind of touched on the anxiety of like feeling paralyzed to leave. Maybe we can dive into that one last deeper. Let's say someone's stuck. We talked about it a little bit and there's this paralyzing fear that they can't move forward. Mm -hmm. Is there any last intuitions or thoughts that come to mind for them? Yeah, you have to get support because if you're stuck, you're you're stuck. Your brain isn't going to just change and give you new perspectives, right? You have your own thought process. You have your own patterns that you're not even probably aware of that have been there for years and years. So when you talk to someone, they pick all of that up, right? We hear like when I'm when I'm working with somebody in a one-on-one, I hear things that they don't. I see things that they can't see because we're all like that. I mean, there are things that even me as a coach, there are ways that I'm just kind of in my own world and in my own pattern that I can't recognize I'm doing something that I'm doing or thinking a certain way. And so when you have someone bring it to your attention, that's number one, maybe they don't even realize, right? And then let, and then show them that they have choices, that this there isn't just this one way to do things, especially with limiting beliefs and fears. It's really getting to the root of what that is so that they can empower themselves to make different choices because fear can be tricky. Sometimes you, you have all of these outcomes, right? Your imagination can go wild about all the uh, you know horrible things that can happen. And so when you have somebody that helps you work through those things and put things in perspective and then guide you through and support you while you make those decisions is so that you don't feel like you're having to do it alone. It it makes all the difference. Yeah, it really is, especially with the narcissist, that buoy lifeline. Got to have that. Yeah, because when you're in a relationship like that, you have such a hard time trusting yourself anymore. It's like you're constantly second guessing yourself. You don't you don't know anymore. And so when you have someone that can listen to you and then guide you or validate your feelings or your thoughts or show you a different way, it changes everything. Yeah. And that's their tactic, by the way. That's what they want you to feel, because the more busy they keep your mind, the more confused you are the more distracted you are from the real truth. And this is why I think almost every episode we've talked about either loving yourself from within or getting quiet and listening to your intuition because that's what they don't want you to do. That is the ultimate superpower against the narcissist is that truth that they're trying so hard to keep your mind busy to hold you away from. Yeah. And it takes practice to learn to trust your intuition. It really does. I think often because women are so intuitive. I mean, they're really like magical creatures. They're deeply intuitive, but we like train ourselves to ignore it or to 
dismiss it right now. Maybe I'm overreacting or maybe I, you know, and so you have to really get connected with yourself and start using that inner compass and trusting, trusting that it will not steer you wrong. Yeah. And I want to note that 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 intuition starts very young, but I think Mm -hmm. in addition to our what, what to what you just said is that we're also conditioned like just through maybe at school or through friends and with family, you know, oh, don't never mind that. Don't worry about yeah. it. You're too sensitive. You know, oh, just, yeah. you know, just shove it off. Right. Oil off the back. But there are some injustices that you should be able to scream at the mountaintops that that's not OK. And yeah. It shouldn't be normalized and it shouldn't be disregarded. I think that's why there's such a huge epidemic of narcissism as well from way back when. But, you know, I, I'm glad there's an awakening because we're starting yeah. to be more conscious about it. And there's more conscious parenting. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you like the younger generations are going, this isn't right. Like, you're not right, mom or dad. Mm hmm. Yeah. And more people even being open to receiving that type of feedback because that was not the case a few generations ago. Kids were supposed to just be seen and not heard. Right. And yes. And so, and we are, there is an awakening. And so one of my favorite books about narcissism, leaving narcissist relationship is out of the fog by Dana Morningstar. Have you read that one? No, that sounds amazing. I need to read that one. Yeah, it's amazing. It's called Out of the Fog, Dana Morningstar. I recommend it to a lot of my clients who are dealing with it. It's such a great book. There's so much information in there and helpful tools. And it's also really easy to read. And there's excerpts from all different people who have been in a relationship with a narcissist and they kind of give you know their insights from their own experience. So I would definitely recommend that book. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah. Tell us more about what you have going on and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So, well, I do offer private coaching sessions. So, and I offer free consultations. So I always like to hop on a, on a call first so that we can make sure that we're a good fit, see kind of where you're stuck and and what you feel like you might need the most support with. And I offer single sessions and then I've also got a couple of packages. So it really is customized for whatever's best for you. Um, And I also have a a private Facebook group for any women who are going through or recovering from a divorce or separation. It's called Divorced and Empowered. So you can find it on Facebook. There's a couple questions you just have to answer before you join just to try to maintain the integrity of the group and make sure you're not spam. But it's a really beautiful group. When I was going through my divorce, I was a member of a few different Facebook groups And it was wonderful to connect with other women and to have that support. But one thing I did notice was a lot of them tended to be a little on the negative side because women really just needed a place to vent, right, about their ex or what they did or didn't do or what they're saying or whatever. And But it's just fine. I mean, you need to get that stuff off of your chest and especially with people who like, who get it, who know what you're going through. So when I created my group, one of the things that was important to me was to keep it more of an uplifting, positive space for women who wanted to try to find the silver lining in their divorce, who wanted to move forward and learn tools to empower themselves and to really start building a life that they love. So we don't, there's no like negativity in there. You can go in there, we laugh, we motivate each other, we inspire each other, we share stories. And I go in there on a regular basis with little workshops to give tools. So it's a really beautiful group. I love all of the women that are in there. They're amazing. So if you're feeling alone and you want to connect with other women going through it, divorced and empowered. 
Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, there's other ways to complain, right? Like through funny memes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I totally get, and there's a space for all of those things, right? Yeah. So it just depends on what you're, what you need. What you're looking for, what you need. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing and fascinating and a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great. Loved being here. Yes. And remember, everybody, always keep your unique light shining. Claim all the offerings and transformational workshops that we offer in our studio in the link in the show notes as well at ravenscott.show forward slash shop. First is the free How to Draw Powerful Boundaries workshop where you will be free from the narcissist's negative emotional cycle, aka drama, and create a positive life. This is free in the link in the show notes. Next is the How to Leave the Narcissist Workshop in your life physically and emotionally, whether it be family or a romantic partner. When you finally discover this untapped secret in this workshop, your pain, shame, and self-loathing disappears. Third is the Soul Integration Masterclass, DNA activation, cheat codes, and spiritual alignment practices, and more. All so you can live authentically on another level no one will recognize you anymore in a good way and your soul will be alive, aligned and integrated into this 3D body. And what if you could change your life by changing your mindset? Learn about the power of the human design system to help you do just that. The human design is a self-discovery tool for shifting from being stuck in the web of lies to living fully in your authentic expression. It is a chart that combines astrology, Kabbalah, I Ching, the chakras, and the science of neutrinos to understand your unique energy map. You can book a human design reading with me in the shop. Claim all of these and more in the link in the show notes at ravenscott.show forward slash shop. And of course, my book, Empath and the Narcissist, How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse and Recover from PTSD, Codependency, Gaslighting and Manipulation is available on Amazon and audible now you can grab your free ebook in the link in the show notes as well if you need to grab it immediately start reading it right now before your paperback arrives in the mail there is so much support for you this holiday season so many exciting things are happening in the studio to assist you in your spiritual journey and out of the dark and to help you shine your magical sparkling light